A reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 48. Genesis chapter 48. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee and I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt are mine, as Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Paden, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. And yet there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The name is Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, These are my sons whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them, and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I have not, brought the, I have not thought to see thy face. And lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all the way, lifelong unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named upon them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand 
to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Genesis chapter 48. Thank you, Chris, for reading the scriptures to us, and also I thank Bevis for all of his help in the meeting this morning. I've had a cold in the week that has passed, which I've kindly passed on to my wife now, but I've been trying to rest my voice a bit to save it for the message. All of the announcements are in the church bulletin, but just to mention that on account of the ladies' meeting being postponed yesterday, It won't be this incoming Saturday, but the following Saturday. So Saturday the 19th, and uh, during that time there'll also be a busy bee for the men, any of the men that are free to help that particular Saturday morning. And next Lord's Day at midday, just after Sunday school, there'll be a brief AGM. I think it'll only last 15 minutes or so. Uh, So a brief AGM after the Sunday school next Lord's Day morning. We'll seek the Lord's face together in prayer. And we're coming back to the same passage that we considered together last Lord's Day. I didn't get through all of the material the Lord had laid in my heart. And so I want to come back and look at this again this morning. Our gracious Father, and we ask, dear Lord, that the help of God will be given as we consider thy truth together right now. Give that needed help of the Holy Spirit of God. And, O Lord, we pray that today your word will come with fresh power and authority to us. And we pray that we will not be sermon tasters only. We pray that we will not be hearers only, but that we will lay up the word of God in our hearts and lives. And grant that needed help of the Holy Spirit We pray in our Lord's great name. Amen. Amen. I wonder, have you ever gone to visit someone that is sick, someone that is discouraged, or maybe even in this scene, someone who is dying, and you've gone hoping to encourage them, you've gone hoping to give something to them, but as you come away, you realise that you gained more than you gave. That was usually the feeling that I had after visiting a lady back in Northern Ireland that I used to visit as part of my congregation. 
Uh, this lady had been a missionary in Liberia and uh, had served the Lord faithfully. And when I would go to visit her, she was in her 90s. And she would always have something to give to me. And she would say, maybe you can use that in a sermon sometime. I went to give, and yet I gained. And wasn't that like these two young men, Ephraim and Manasseh? And for Joseph also, as they went to visit old Jacob, who very soon was going to die, they went perhaps in that visit hoping to give, hoping to encourage this old servant of God. And yet certainly they gained more than they gave. As Joseph received the double portion, and these two men, Ephraim and Manasseh, were given an equal inheritance with the other tribes of Israel. As we saw last time, they were adopted as Jacob's children. And in the verse 5, And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And so I explained last week that in this scene, these two young men are adopted as children of Jacob. They're no longer merely regarded as the grandsons of Jacob, but they have a status that is equal with the sons of Jacob. And the first two sons of Jacob then are mentioned in verse 5. Manasseh and Ephraim then would have a state that was equal unto Reuben and Simeon. And as I mentioned last week, in the Bible, when someone was adopted, their parents may have been alive and well at that time, just as it was here. Why was it that these two men were adopted by Jacob? It was because Jacob had something to give to them. They were to be partakers of the inheritance. And so here they were adopted, not when they were young children, but when they were adults. And the New Testament has much to tell us about adoption. The people of God have been adopted into the family of God. If you're a believer today... You are a child of God. And the Spirit witnesses to your spirit that you are a child of God. From all eternity, you were chosen, predestined, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Ephesians 1 verse 5. And the adoption then of these two young men, it points us to the adoption of, that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord says over us then that we are his. These two young men are said in verse 5 to be mine. Jacob says they are mine. The Lord says over us we are his. Now, Thomas Watson said adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. We were 
thinking earlier about God's creation of man. And I'm sure as you have thought about the story of Adam in the garden, you would love to have been there. You would love to have been sinless as he was in his, what we call his pristine state, in his unfallen state. But there is a blessing that the Christian has today that Adam did not have. Adoption is a greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. He was a son by creation. But here is a further sonship by adoption. What a wonderful thing to be adopted into the Lord's family. And so last time we talked about being adopted according to God's covenant. Adopted onto a great inheritance. And the application part of the sermon I didn't really get to. And so that's what we want to focus on together this morning. It is interesting that in the Westminster Confession, an entire chapter is devoted onto this subject of adoption. And they saw that it was absolutely vital for us to consider that we have been justified freely by his grace. And yet surely as they set aside this separate chapter on the subject of adoption, and they were showing that this is something that we ought to Think about, and so in the catechism it says, adoption is an act of God's free grace. An act in the sense that it takes place in a moment of time. In one moment you're lost, in the next moment when you're converted you're now a child of God. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And it's these privileges that I want then to think about today as we take the the subject meditating upon our adoption and using these two men as our illustration. First of all, I want to see that there is to be a recognition that each Christian has a unique place in the family of God. Each Christian has a unique place. In the family of God. You see these two sons of Joseph. They were both adopted. Ephraim and Manasseh now stood. As sons of Jacob. They had an equal standing. To these other brethren. And yet these two men. Were not to be the same. They were not to be clones of one another. The Lord was blessing them both in a great way. And yet the blessings for them were different. So they both had this position. We are the children of Jacob. And yet the actual blessings that they would have were not the same as each other. The Lord in his sovereignty had planned a different future for them. And that's why we have this scene of the crossed arms of Jacob. So Jacob was an old man. He had failing eyesight. While he had failing physical eyesight, his spiritual eyes were very open. And the Lord was truly working in Jacob's Life and working through Jacob at this time 
He was really fulfilling the role of a prophet in this particular chapter and in the, in the next chapter. But as the two sons were brought, Joseph had placed them in such a way that the eldest would come naturally, where as Jacob would reach out his right hand, the right hand would fall on the eldest. That was how Joseph brought the two men. And so the left hand would fall on the second son. But what happened was that Jacob knew that that was the case. And so he crossed over his hands so that his right hand was upon the younger of the two men, Ephraim. And the right hand then was indicating this idea of a special blessing. So both of them were blessed and yet one of them was going to have a very special place. You see, as Jacob brought them, as he brought them that the right hand would fall naturally on the eldest, Jacob was, sorry, Joseph was presuming that the eldest would have the chief blessing. But Jacob knew that that was not going to be God's way. Remember how Isaac was blessed, but Ishmael, there was no spiritual blessing for him. Jacob was chosen, not Esau. And in this case, both of these men were blessed, but one would have a greater blessing than the other, and it was actually the younger. And so they had this equality in one sense, both equal sons, and yet one had this very special blessing. Ephraim would be greater than Manasseh. Now the Lord has chosen his bride, he has chosen his church. But he has chosen each individual member of that church. There is a teaching that says that in election, the Lord has just Chosen that the church is going to be his people. It's nothing to do with the people that are in that body. And that that's their choice. But the Lord has just decided I'm going to have a church. That is not the teaching of the word of God. In that particular teaching. Election has nothing to do with the individual. Where scripture makes it clear it has everything to do with the individual. The Lord has chosen his church, and he has chosen who is in that church. The Lord has chosen his family. He has chosen who are members of that family. And so then, if you're a believer today, you have a status in one sense equal to every other brother and sister in Christ, justified. And yet, we are not all the same. There are blessings that some of us have that others do not have. Outward blessings, I mean. There are circumstances that some of us have that others don't experience. And today, whether you are an Ephraim, that you have this great abundance, or whether you're Manasseh, blessed but not in the same way as Ephraim. You're still to rejoice. 
that you're a child of God. You're not to resent the Ephraim if you're Manasseh. You're not to look down on Manasseh if you are an Ephraim. Did Manasseh have any reason to complain? Not at all. Why was Ephraim favoured over him? It was the mind of God. And we're to look at this as Paul shows us in Romans chapter 9. Can the clay dictate to the potter? The Lord is the potter. He takes the clay. He chooses to mould it as he will. Years later when the children of Israel entered the promised land. Ephraim would be a greater tribe. And yet was Manasseh to say Ephraim is better than us? Was Manasseh to say. Let Ephraim do all the fighting. We have nothing to do. Not at all. Each adopted son had a work to do. Each tribe had a work to do. And you and I then today as believers. We have been chosen. We are not the same. But we all have a work to do. This principle is set forth in the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 5. Remember how to one was given five talents. To another was given two. To another was given one. And they were to make use of the talent during the absence of the one that had given. Speaking how the Lord has blessed us. And we are to make use of the blessings that he has given. We are to improve upon them. And so in that parable the word that is used is the word traded. The the talents were invested. There was to be growth. And what do these talents symbolize for us? They symbolize all the gifts the Lord has given to us. It includes the abilities he has given to us. It includes our families. It includes time and opportunity. Now whether you're the one with five talents or two. You're to take what the Lord has given You're to use it. You're to improve upon it as it were. And always rejoicing that God has given. As he saw our ability to cope with. Why did the Lord choose Ephraim? For this role of being the chief tribe in the northern tribes. Well, it was according to the Lord's sovereignty. Perhaps the Lord saw that that they were the tribe that was more fitted for that. Perhaps your position is higher than you would have chosen because the Lord so saw that that was fitting. Or perhaps your position is lower in life than you would have chosen, but the Lord knows best. Whether we're an Ephraim or a Manasseh, we're to rejoice. The Lord knows best. We're part of the family of God. But then I want to see here not only 
that there's this recognition of our uniqueness, but our reflection upon a new relationship. And from, the, from this point forward for these two young men, they would have to think very differently about themselves. I'm sure up to until this point, they saw themselves as the sons of an Egyptian statesman. They saw themselves as son of this, sons of this great governor. They perhaps had anticipated that there was a political future for them in Egypt. But after this scene, they were not to think that way anymore. They were now instead to think of themselves as the sons of Jacob. They were to identify with those other sons of Jacob. They were not to think as of Egypt as the inheritance for their descendants. But like the other tribes, their descendants would one day go up and possess the promised land. And perhaps even for this young, these two young men, there was something of what Moses had to experience. Remember how he, according to the book of Hebrews, chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. They would have to turn away from the accolades of the palace life. We're the sons of Jacob. We're these shepherds out in Goshen. They were looking for something better than Egypt. They were looking for their inheritance in Canaan. If you're a Christian... This great truth that we are adopted is one that we are to regularly meditate upon, regularly to think about. We are to recognize that our true citizenship is not here on earth. We're children of God. We belong to the Lord. We're His children. And this great truth, I am a child of God, is to transform our living. Remember how that Shulamite woman in the book of Song of Solomon, she rejoiced when she said, My beloved is mine, and I am his. Is that what you're rejoicing in today, Christian? That the Lord is your beloved. That he calls you his. You're loved with an everlasting love. And so when you suffer loss, you rejoice. I'm a child of God. When you're maligned for your Christian testimony, you rejoice. I'm a child of God. One of the great themes of Romans 8 is opposition. The devil is seen there as setting himself against the people of God. He's the old accuser. He wants to remind us of our sin and accuse us of our sin. In that chapter we read of struggle against our own sin, struggle against our flesh. We read about suffering that we have in this life. And it's in that whole context that Paul says in Romans eight seventeen, if. Children, that is, if you're children, then you're heirs. 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are to see our position. And if we can truly grasp hold of this, I'm a child of God, it will transform how we think about every trouble and trial that we face. It will transform how we think about our future. That we get our priority not fixed upon what we have here, but upon what we have in glory. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Perhaps there's one in the meeting today and you're not converted. You've had a great privilege of being brought up in a home where your parents are in the family of God. You've had the privilege of hearing the gospel presented to you continuously. And yet today you're not converted. You're not right before a holy God. As I exhort God's people to see their position, I'm a child of God. Oh, that you would see your position as God's word has defined it. You're a child of wrath. You're a child that is destined for a lost sinner's hell. And oh, today that you would be so humble before Almighty God that you would recognize that without Christ you've absolutely nothing. It's been a blessing to have spiritual privileges and yet as far as eternity is concerned you're none better. We exhort you that you would flee today to Jesus Christ and be saved. Reflect upon this renewed relationship. And I want to see then finally that there was to be a rejoicing and there is to be a rejoicing in the internal witness. Uh, Last time I talked about Shechem. The Shechem was something of a down payment for these two men. And yet Shechem was far away from where these two men were. There was another witness That they were truly the sons of Jacob. There was another evidence. That they really were inheritors in Canaan. So if you look with me in verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for each. So that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him. And he kissed them and embraced them. In verse 12, Joseph brought them out from between his knees. And so they come from under Joseph's jurisdiction, as it were. Joseph brings them, in verse 13, to be near unto Jacob. In verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and led it. These two young men, they were kissed. They were embraced. The hand was laid upon them. And they were always to remember this scene. We are adopted. There was that witness to us. 
as Jacob brought us to himself, as he laid his hands upon it, we were received. And if you could turn then please to Romans chapter 8. There is a great testimony to the Christian today. Romans chapter 8 and the verse 15. And we'll read the verse 14 to get the flow here. Romans chapter 8 and the verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The child of God has received the spirit of adoption. And the spirit of adoption there is one of the titles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to minister in our hearts. He has come to dwell in us. We've received him. Received his testimony. And as a result of the Holy Spirit continually witnessing to our spirit that we are the children of God. We are enabled then to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, being a word that describes this close relationship to the Father. And so this adoption is not setting forth the idea, I'm a child of God, but... There's this great distance between me and God. No. We're brought nigh. The Lord is Abba. This is tenderness. This is love. This is nearness. And on account of the hand of Jacob being in these two sons, they could say, we are sons of Jacob. But on account of the Spirit in us, we can say, we are the sons of God. What peace, what security. As we come to a close, I want us to think of the words at the beginning of that verse 15. Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. The word surely are saying there was a time when you received the spirit of bondage. And when you received the spirit of bondage, you did fear. But you've not received it again to fear. But rather you've received the spirit of adoption. There's some discussion over what this spirit of bondage is. I believe it's also speaking here of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What is the spirit of bondage? It's when the Holy Spirit comes and he brings conviction. It's when the Holy Spirit comes and he brings to the sinner's attention his guilt and the reality of his state. You see, the sinner outside of Christ is in bondage. And yet so many of those that are lost do not have that sense. They do not recognize they are in bondage. 
When the Lord saved you, dear believer, what happened? The Holy Spirit came and he brought conviction. He convicted you that you were in bondage. He convicted you of your need of Jesus Christ. And as you were effectually called then, brought into Christ, you received the spirit of adoption. You are now shown that you're in Christ. You are now shown that you're right before a holy God. As we go on with the Lord, the Lord certainly does show us our sin. And yet the Lord does not come to us again as the spirit of bondage. Rather, the Spirit is continually testifying to us of our freedom in Christ, that we have been set free. Now, many today would want to have the Spirit of adoption without ever experiencing the Spirit of bondage. How many there are today And they want to be able to say, I'm a child of God. Even though there's never been a time in their life when they came to recognize that they were condemned. Even though there was never a time in their life when they repented. Perhaps they were in some time of difficulty, some time of trial. And they wanted help. And they made some profession of religion. And on that basis they say I'm a child of God. They want the spirit of adoption without the spirit of bondage. But it cannot be so. God's way is that the sinner will be humbled. That the sinner will be brought to see that he is. Bound by sin and the devil. Blinded by the devil. As the sinner confesses that to be so. He's set free. And oh today dear sinner that you would come. In that state of contrition. Confessing all of your guilt. Repenting. Crying on to the Lord for mercy. May the Lord be pleased to bring you to himself in truth. And may you know in reality that you have not received again the spirit of bondage and to fear, but received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We'll bow together, please, in prayer. Perhaps there is one today, and as you sit among the company of God's people, you're not yet converted. You're not right before a holy God. May you today be truly humbled, brought on to Christ for salvation. May each one of us who are in Christ rejoice. In the position we have in him.
you rejoice that we are the children of God. Our gracious Father, we pray, dear Lord, that thou will take thy truth and write it upon our hearts. And, O Lord, we pray that should there be any in this gathering that are not thine, O Lord, bring them to thyself, we pray. Save the lost. Encourage every believer. Help us to rejoice this day that we are indeed the children of the Lord. Be with us as we linger around the table. O Lord, we pray as we come and partake of these elements that we will truly feast upon Jesus Christ. And O Lord, we do pray that we will be truly led to Calvary, humbled as we sit at his feet. To those that must go, we pray that thou will go before them and watch over them. And we pray that your blessing will abide upon each one. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Amen.